just want to say, if I go uh, beyond the allotted time, Lewis uh, was going through the Gospel Stop 20 hits this morning. And so I just want to say, you know, if we go a little beyond, you know, this pressure's off me today, you know. Everybody having a good week last week? Right? Worshiping God in spirit and truth. We cleared our hearts and minds. We're focused in on the message. We're focused in on... Uh, the table talk and on the, and the words that we sing, like we've been going over here for these last so many weeks, looking at why we worship, how we worship, the, the various acts of worship. Today we're not looking at an act of worship, we're looking at the day in which we worship on. The, if you look on the screen behind me, what does it say? First day of the week study, right? So as we get into this first day of the week, I first want to read you a poem, and then we're going to kind of get into the idea of this lesson. The Lord's Day. This is the day when Christ arose so early from the dead. Why should I keep my eyelids closed and waste my hours in bed? This is the day on which Jesus claimed victory over death. Or should I wear Satan's yoke and continue to love my sin so well? Today with pleasure Christians meet to pray and hear thy word. And I go with cheerful feet to learn thy will of the Lord. I leave my sport, my hobbies, and other things behind. To come to worship this day, to read and to pray and to worship, and so prepare for heaven. Oh, may I love this blessed day, the best of all the seven. It's a poem that was by Isaac Watts. Uh, it was a, young, uh, a younger individual who wrote that poem. And as we think about the New Testament Christians, as we think about observing uh, and commemorating the death and burial of our, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... Uh, we do this on the Lord's Day, and that's why it's the Lord's Day prayer. That's why he says, why should I continue on in bed with my eyelids closed? I should arise and get out of bed and go to worship and be cheerful in my worship for knowing all that Christ has done for me. You see, the Lord's Day, brethren, it's a day of the week that we call Sunday. And we're going to look at that, and, we, and you think to yourself, well, that's, that's probably a, you know, a pretty simple uh, idea, Dave. And you know, do we really need to cover that? And I say, well, I don't know, you tell me, because I know people who worship on Thursdays and Saturdays and Sundays, and, well, if you're a Catholic like me, you could literally worship seven days a week if you want to. I mean, every morning they have a worship service. And so, what is the point? Did God authorize a day in which we worship? Did he authorize how we are to worship? Did he authorize many different things, right? And so, if you guys remember, as I've been going through this lesson, we talk about how uh, we look at the scriptures for authority. Is there apostolic example? Is there God-given example as to how he wants things done? Does he tell us what his will is? Does he tell us what he expects of us? And so the questions I want us to consider here today is, does it matter what day I worship God? Can I, can I worship on Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday, Saturday? Or do I only worship on Sunday? Is there an example that is given in the Holy Scriptures? Apostolic example. And when I say apostolic example, why is that important? Who led the apostles? The Holy Spirit of God. And so as they penned the Scriptures, they were led by the Holy Spirit of God. And so do you think the Holy Spirit, God, knew what he wanted uh, in worship, when he were, wanted to worship, when he wanted to be worshipped, and what he wanted and how he wanted to be worshipped. And so, does it matter what day I worship God? Is there an apostolic example that we can pull from in Scripture? Should Christians keep the Sabbath? That's another question that we're going to look to answer here at the end of the lesson. Do Christians still keep the Sabbath day? And so as we get into this, I want you to look at this first passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. 
And we're going to give a little history lesson here this morning so people can understand what the scriptures teach, not what man desires, not what man's preference is. Not, uh, I worship on a different day because I just don't have time on the Lord's day because I have other activities that get in the way. When does the Lord call us to worship? And we know in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, this is a passage of scripture we've looked at many times if you studied out the book of Acts. And it says, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered, who's we? Remember, I always I said it during Bible study this morning. When you're reading the scriptures and it says he and them and they, you should ask yourselves, who, he, who is he, they, and them? Right? And so here it says, when we, it's talking about the church, it's talking about Christians. When we were gathered together to break bread, which is talking about the Lord's Supper, Paul began talking with them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message to midnight. And it's in that passage of scripture that it mentions the first day of the week. Why is that important? Which is the weekly... It's important because it's the weekly memorial of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why do we call it the Lord's Day? Why did they call it the Lord's Day 2,000 years ago at the beginning of the church? Because that was the day that the Lord raised from the dead. That was the day that the Lord had raised from the dead and claimed victory over death. And so when we look at this, brethren, the Bible doesn't tell us to remember Christ's birth on December 25th. But, he tells us, but it tells us to remember his death each and every Lord's Day, each and every day of the week. And Christians do not remember Christ's resurrection only once a year on Easter, as I know we're coming up and we're getting closer to the Easter season. Because if you go to the store, you can see all the candy and all the baskets and everything that are out there, right? And so I know when we look at this, it doesn't tell us to remember his birth on the 25th. It doesn't tell us to remember um, uh, Easter and his resurrection on, 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 uh, on a particular Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And so we celebrate and we remember the Lord on the weekly anniversary of his resurrection. Is there a pattern of teachings? This is the question you need to ask yourself. Is there a pattern of teachings in the Holy Scriptures? Is there a pattern of teachings in the church? Can we see that pattern when we study out Scripture? Does it give us apostolic example and, and, and authority? And it does. So we looked at the first passage in Acts chapter 20, but what about 1 Corinthians chapter 16? The first one was written by the physician Luke, guided by the Holy Spirit. This one is written by the Apostle Paul to the people of Corinth, as well as to the people of Galatia. How do I know that? Because notice what it says. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 16 says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. Why is it important that it says, uh, as I directed the churches of Galatia? Because Galatia wasn't one church, it was a province. There was many congregations of the Lord's church. And he says, as I directed the churches of Galatia in that province, you do the same. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and to save, as he may prosper, so that no collections may be made when I come. Brethren, you look at this information here this morning. The reason for putting an offering aside on the first day of the week was because the first century saints, the second century saints, the third century saints, the fourth century, and it could keep going and going and going for many centuries until man started to change it. They met on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. And I'm going to give you a history lesson here in a few minutes to show why that is. I think of another passage of scripture that shows that there was a pattern taking place. And that pattern that was taking place goes to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. We know that the Apostle John, by the Roman authorities, he was banished. And he was banished to the island of Patmos. And what does it say in Revelation 1 and 10? 
I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. What day is that? Oh, that's right, that's Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. Brethren, even the Apostle Paul, or the Apostle John, kept the Lord's Day, kept his worship unto the Lord while he was banished to the island of Patmos. And he knows, we know this because it talks about him being in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. But what does it mean to be in the Spirit in Revelations 1 and 10? This refers to John's exercising his prophetic gift. And God was always the one that initiated that gift. None of the prophets just prophesied of their own attentions or intentions. And I know this because in 2 Peter 1 and 20 and 21, it talks about that. It says, No prophecy of man was ever made by an act of human will, but holy men spoke by God as they were directed by the Holy Spirit. And so he, in the Spirit, on the Lord's day, and that's why it says in verse 1 and 10 there, that, and, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. If you read the rest of the story, it gives you the rest of the revelation. Brothers and sisters, I want to point out something that many people never really, uh, I don't think, ever consider. When you look at these passages of Scripture, they show a pattern of when the church gathered, yes or no? They gather together on the first day. We see it in Revelation. We see it in 1 Corinthians. We see it in, uh, um, in Galatians. We see it in other aspects, right? We see it in the book of Acts. Why is that important? Because Acts was written in about 61 A.D., give or take. Uh, 1 Corinthians was written in about 55 A.D., give or take. It's important because the pattern of Christian worship had been going on for 20 to 25 years before these letters were ever written. When it says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, when John wrote that in Revelation, that was written around 90, 95 A.D. They were in the, already in the habit of coming together and worshiping for 60 years when John wrote what he wrote. And so it's not like it started at the beginning of the writing of this letter. They've already been doing it for decades. And so I know this, brethren, because my, when we look at this information, they are simply... Uh, they, they are simply record what they record, these letters record, what is God's will for his worship. Did God, when we were going over this series on worship and the acts of worship, did he tell them in ta uh, tabernacle worship exactly how he wanted tabernacle worship to, to, to be played out? Did he give them specific instructions in tabernacle worship as well as temple worship? Has he given us specific instructions in, new, in the new covenant for a new kingdom, for a new people that we actually abide by? And the answer is yes. We gather on the first day of the week, we sing, and we pray, we give an offering, we take the Lord's Supper, and we hear a message from the Word of God. That is what God has authorized, and he tells us when he authorizes it. Sunday was the customary day of Christian worship in commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here we see the Apostle John saying how he was still, how he still remembered the Lord's Day, even though he was banished. But then I think, what about some of these other writings? Because is it just the scriptures that we could turn to to show that there was a pattern? No. Look at all these other passages. When we think about 107 AD, we think about Ignatius. Ignatius wrote, Let every friend of Christ keep the Lord's Day as a festival, the resurrection day, the queen and the chief of all the days of the week. What day is the Lord's Day? Sunday, 150 A.D., we look at what Justin wrote. Justin wrote, but Sunday is the day on which we hold our common assembly because it is the first day of the week and Jesus our Savior on the same day rose from the dead. Is there a pattern here? 
You see it from the 33 AD, you've seen it at 50 AD, you've seen it at 60, 107, 150, oh, we keep going, 190 AD, AD uh, uh, Clement of Alexandria wrote, he keeps the commandments according to the gospel, and he keeps what? The Lord's Day. In 200 AD, we see Tertullian, and he wrote, others suppose that the sun, listen to this, this one's actually very interesting. They were such a pattern of gathering on the Lord's Day that it says some of the people suppose that the sun was the God of Christians, that they worshiped the sun because they gathered so often, when? On Sunday, as a day of joy. Then you get to 225 AD, and you get to the Discalia. And when you get to the Didascalia, on the first day of the week, let there be service. Let there be the reading of scripture. Let there be the oblation, which is another term for the Lord's Supper, like communion and Eucharist and other things. Because on the first day of the week, our Lord rose from the dead. And, uh, rose from the dead. And I look at one more. 300 A.D. And the list could keep going, but I think I make my point. In 300 A.D., Eusebius of Caesarea wrote, the day of Christ's light was the day of the resurrection from the dead, which they say is the one and only true holy day, which is the Lord's day. Is there a pattern of teachings? Is there a pattern that you just looked at for why we worship on Sunday, not Saturday, not Thursday, not Tuesday, not Monday? Do you understand? We gather together on the Lord's day because that is what the Lord has authorized. Who, when we look at history, where did these other saints then look to in order to write what they wrote in these other passages in their, in their own non-inspired writings? They looked to what the example was in the Holy Scriptures. And for the first 100 years of the church, we know that they all worshiped on the Lord's Day Sunday. And so, brethren, we look at this information, it's easy to see that since the beginning of the Church of Christ, since AD 33, that the, sets, the saints met faithfully on the first day of the week, Sunday, because it was the Lord's Day, the day that he, it was the chief day that he rose from the, uh, the dead and resurrected on that day. In fact, as we think about Sunday, as we think about the, the New Testament and the Holy Scriptures, did you know that there are no dates no special occasions, no special seasons that have any religious significance for the Lord's church and for Christians. Did you know that? How many of you knew that? That there is none. Everyone that, I, that I'm going to mention here this morning is a man-made religious holiday. You know how God likes when we kind of stir up the pot and mix up his teachings and kind of erase some of them and add to some of them and, and, and just create a bunch of new traditions. You know how he loves that. Brethren, the New Testament only authorizes uh, Christians to assemble and worship on the first day of the week. Now, sure, you could gather on other days, as Acts chapter 2 also teaches, that they went from house to house. But they weren't worshiping. They were edifying one another, encouraging one another, sacrificing for one another, hosting meals and, and, and love feasts where they gathered together to, uh, to, to break bread, not in the sense of the communion, but in the sense of sharing meals with one another, to build stronger relationships and, and, stronger, and stronger bonds of trust. The New Testament only authorizes Christians to assemble. And that's why I keep saying that when we look at the scriptures, it's a matter of authority. Since every week has a first day, the whole church assembles for worship. And what is authorized in worship, as we've been going over, singing, Ephesians 5 and 19. 
We look at pray, praying in Acts 2 and 42, the Lord's Supper uh, in Acts 20 and 7, uh, giving or making an offering in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and preaching as well as in Acts 20. And so you look at what is authorized in Scripture. For every Sunday is the same as the Sunday that will come in the future and the, and the Sunday that came before it. It is very simple to, to, to see this and to understand this. And yet, why is it that man continues to do things that are contrary to this very simple pattern and just worship whenever they want as if that's acceptable to God? Brethren, it is man and not God who makes some days and some times and some seasons more important than others. I want you to think about human traditions. I want you to think about what Jesus thought about all the traditions that the Jews added to his word. Is Jesus God? What Did Jesus, did he appreciate all the traditions and the rules and all the things they added? In Mark chapter, uh, in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 9 it says, But in vain they worship me, teaching, and, teaching uh, as doctrines the precepts, meaning the rules of men. We also think about what the Apostle Paul wrote to the people of Galatia in Galatians 4 and chapter uh, verses 9 and 10. It says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and the worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? He was talking about those Jews who converted from, uh, um, uh, from Judaism to Christianity, but he was also addressing Christians, uh, uh, pagan converts who converted from paganism to Christianity because they were always trying to add their own pagan festivals, their own pagan holidays. The Jews were trying to do the same thing. They were trying to add to the Lord's uh, new covenant. And it says there, How is it that you turn your back again to the weak and worthless elemental things, to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? What does verse 10 say? You observe these days, these months, these seasons, and these years. What is he talking about? Many of the first century converted Jews, and as well as pagans, wanted to add to Christianity the parts that they enjoyed the most. Why do you think that the, the pagan church, uh, the Catholic church, the church that had went astray, why do you think they added things like Christmas and other things? Because they were losing members to pagan holidays, pagan festivals, pagan traditions. And so they, were, they created things like Easter and Christmas and, uh, well, a whole religious calendar. We call it the Christian calendar in modern days. They created all of those things to help uh, combat other religions and other pagan religions that they were losing members to. And they said, well, we need to do something about it. Brethren, it was because of these uh, pagans that converted to Christianity and these Jews that converted to Christianity uh, that Jesus is rebuking. And so as you just saw, I want you to think about the idea that true Christianity, God's true people, do not have a Christian calendar. Did you know that the Bible has never heard of, Jesus never heard of, the saints, the early saints for hundreds of years never heard of any of these things? St. Valentine's Day, Mardi Gras, Advent, Ash Wednesday, Lent, Palm Sunday, Holy Week, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, St. Andrew's Day, St. Patrick's Day, All Saints Day. I mean, seriously, Christmas, the, the list can just go on and on and on. Of all the various things that man has created in order to uh, stand up, in order to deal with the people that they were losing to these other pagan religions. Not one of the holidays just mentioned has New Testament authorization. Simply put, God has not authorized them. They are authorized by man and not God, and man does so to his own peril. 
And so as I look at the scriptures here this morning, in fact, the Holy Spirit apostles of the first, second, third, fourth, fifth centuries, they didn't know of these things. They'd never heard of most of these things. And, and so that's the point. Is God pleased when man starts to create their own rules and their own traditions and then adds them to the word, adds them to God's expectations for his people? No. I just showed you Matthew chapter 15 a minute ago in verse 9 where, where Jesus was uh, telling them that you offer up vain worship. Because you worship, you deny the commandments of God in order to keep your own traditions. Brethren, mankind loves its traditions, do we not? We love our celebrations. We love our festivals. But remember what the Apostle Paul said to the people of Coloss in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And then I think of another passage of Scripture that tells us that we are not to go beyond what is written. And this is so very important because Randy, he read this this morning in the, uh, for the scripture reading. Ask me if this is difficult to understand. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively, figuratively applied to Apollos and myself for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to what? Exceed what is written. You have the complete will of God. You have the complete revelation of God, and you need to be careful not to exceed what is written. Why do you think he had to make that statement to the people in Corinth? Because they were already dividing themselves up to various factions. Go back and look at the first few chapters and see how the Apostle Paul rebukes the people of Corinth for dividing up into various factions and to uh, starting to do things that they ought not to do. And so you look at the scriptures here, brethren, this morning, and you, you look at uh, th this, this pattern that is so easy to see. Brethren, we are not to exceed what was written by the Holy Spirit-led apostles and early disciples. The Apostle Paul made this crystal clear. So why do so many congregations continue to then do the opposite of what scriptures teach? Why not just honor God, worship God, in the way and in the manner in which he authorizes? Is it difficult to understand? No. But we start to look at our own preferences, our own will, our own mind, and then we start to want to be like the Joneses. Why do so many of the churches of Christ have gone astray as they start to add rock bands and all the different things that you see? Because they're starting to what? They want to look like the other denominations. They want to look like these other churches who've already gone apostates. And yet, why do they want to add women's roles? Well, because they want to look like these other churches. They're trying to keep up with the Joneses. Because we need to make sure we're a church that looks uh, culturally acceptable. When did God ever say that the church had to be culturally acceptable? Because every culture, every generation, culture changes. Customs change, do they not? And yet, so do we just change everything, every generation? Change all the rules? Brothers and sisters, it's very easy to see. We need to make sure that as, a, as Christian men and women that we worship, honor, and respect the word of God and, and respect God and all that he teaches. Just like these early Christians gathered together on the first day of the week with the express purpose to break bread, to have the oblation, meaning the Lord's Supper, to have prayer, to have singing, to do all that God has uh, to told us to do in Scripture. But before I close this lesson down, I want to look at one more thing. We'll just go a few more minutes. As I close this down here in a minute, I want us to look at the fourth commandment 
of the Ten Commandments. Because there are many in, in, in denominational Christian world today that would claim that the Sabbath is still binding on us today. And so we have to ask the question, is Sabbath day still binding on us today? Is Sabbath worship acceptable to God? Do the scriptures teach us this? Brethren, this is very easy to see. When you look at this, I want you to see not just the Seventh-day Adventists, but many of the other uh, <laughs> congregations are starting to follow in this path. And however, I would like you to make sure that you remember and ask yourself, who was God talking to in these next passages? Remember, I said that you need to ask yourself who they are, who them are, who we are. And so you look at these passages of Scripture and ask me if it's difficult to understand who the Ten Commandments were for. Are the Ten Commandments for Christians, or are the Ten Commandments for the people of Judaism? And we look at this. The next passage is Exodus chapter 34, starting in verse 27. Then the Lord said to Moses, write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with who? Who's you? Who's he talking to? Right there in the first sentence, Moses. The Lord said to Moses, write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you, Moses. And who? Israel. Does that exclude everybody else? Is that difficult to understand? And then in verse 28 it says, so he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not, drink, he did not eat bread, he did not drink water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the words of the Ten Commandments. Who were the Ten Commandments for? Moses and the Israelites. Right? Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 1 through 3. The Ten Commandments are here repeated in this section of Scripture. We're not going to look at the Ten Commandments, but look at what these first three verses say. Then Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances which I am speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn them and observe them carefully. The Lord our God made a covenant with who? With us. Who is us? The Israelites. He made a covenant with us at the Mount of Horeb. And it says, And the Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us. He didn't make it with Abraham. He didn't make it with Jacob. Right? He made it with us. Those who were here today in the flesh, those Jews who entered into a covenant relation, you know, the ones that God pulled up by the hand and brought them out of the Egyptian bondage? Those were the ones who entered into this covenant with Moses and with God and the people of Israel. And so, brethren, we look at this information. The Ten Commandments were intended only for Israel. So then, what about the Fourth Commandment then? Is the Fourth Commandment still binding on Christians today? It's a simple question. Is the Fourth Commandment binding on Christians if the Ten Commandments were never for Christians? The answer is no. You guys can talk. You guys can answer. You can say no. I want you to look at something else. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 13 tells us, When he set a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. And then I think of Hebrews 10 and 8 and 9. And after saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Talking about the law of Moses. And then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. Brethren, what is the point? The fourth commandment along with the, uh, the other uh, nine of those commandments 
are only, we're only binding on the Israelites. We're only binding on the Hebrew Jewish people. And we are under a new and better covenant, just like we learned about in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6. Like I said, if you want to know more about the new covenant, read Hebrews 8 through 10. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul used this to prove that the Christians have liberty from those types of things. Because notice what he says in Colossians 2 and 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regards to what? Food or drink. Did they have food laws, dietary laws in the old law? But no longer are you to be judged by what you eat, because if you accept all things with thanksgiving, then nothing is to be uh, disregarded that God has asked for. That's what the New Testament teaches. So Paul tells them, therefore, no one is to act as a judge in regard to food or drink or, res or in respect to a festival, a new moon, or what? A Sabbath day. Is that crystal clear? Do you think there's a pattern of teachings there on that as well? You see, brethren, the new covenant frees all people from being held to the Old Testament rules of the festivals. It, 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 it frees all Christians who enter into God's rest, who enter into a covenant relationship with Christ by making Jesus the Lord of your life. It frees them of all the pagan festivals and the pagan rituals and the Jewish rituals and the Jewish festivals. It frees them of all of those things. And we also have to remember... If you ever want to keep just one aspect of the law, you have to keep the entirety of the law. Good luck with that. I don't see them uh, in the Seventh-day Adventist Church and other churches offering sacrifices. I'm pretty sure that was still in effect. I mean, if, if you want to go back and do the old law, there's a lot of things that they are to do that, well, I don't see them doing. And it's not just them. There's many who would, who would uh, try to worship on uh, Saturdays and other days. Brethren, I end it with this, Hebrews 4, 9, and 11. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Pay attention. For the one who has entered his rest, who's his Christ, has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall uh, through following the same example of disobedience. Brethren, that above passage right there in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9 through 11 is simply talking about if we desire to enter into the rest, the rest of God, the rest of Christ, it's talking about that we continue to work while it is still day, while our lives are still, uh, our, our breath in our, uh, in, in, uh, is still in us, our hearts are still beating. When we, when we finally then die and then we go to God in judgment, at that point we will enter into the rest. It is an eternal rest. And that is the new Sabbath rest of the Christians in Hebrews 4, 9, and 11. It's not the keeping of the Sabbath on a Saturday. It's to, uh, to live out your life and to strive to enter into God's eternal rest through Christ Jesus as your Lord. Brethren, scriptures and history are crystal clear that God has authorized a pattern of worship and Christian worship. He has authorized certain activities that are to take place within that worship service. And he has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. It tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. And so if he's given us everything, what more do you need? You see, you need nothing else. There's nothing else that you need if your desire is to attain heaven. If you're with us today and you're hearing this message and you have questions, please get with me afterwards. But if you're hearing this message today and you know you got some things on your heart because you're struggling in life, you're struggling with your emotions, uh, you're struggling spiritually or physically, please let us know how we can help you. If you're here today and you're not a child of God and your desire is to finally go down into that watery grave of baptism, to have your sins washed away, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, then come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation. <laughs>